Have you ever experienced something weird that you couldn't explain that might tap into the supernatural, even if you don't believe in this stuff? Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast, presented by HippoDirect. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing due to HippoDirect, and you can email me at max at hippodirect.com to help save time with your podcasting. This is episode number 61, and you have never heard a business interview like this one. Today's guest is Jim Harold, and he is the king of paranormal podcasting. He's amassed over 40 million downloads with his shows, and he's been podcasting since 2005. I don't think I even had a cell phone in 2005. His top shows, The Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire, have both ranked in the top 60 on Apple Podcasts. And to put that in perspective, at the time of this recording, there are around 750,000 podcasts overall. He's turned his podcast into a full-time business, and he shares how he did it, how he grew his podcast, and of course, his favorite spooky stories of all time. So let's get spooky. <laughs> Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with the OG of Paranormal Podcasting, the Paranormal Podcast Guy himself. Over 40 million downloads and counting, Jim Harold. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Max, for having me on the program. I appreciate it and uh, love talking about business, not just spooky stuff. So uh, this is kind of a, a, a welcome departure. Perfect. Well, we like spooky businesses. Sometimes, you know, business scares the shit out of us. So well, <laughs> yeah, here, yeah, we, here we are today. But we're going to get into a mix of business and paranormal and a number of other things that I won't reveal yet. But... Before we get into your paranormal business and what has really taken over your life over the past, what, 14, 15 years now, mm-hmm. what was life like for you before you became the paranormal podcast guy? What If, if paranormal was not in the picture, what did your life look like back then? Well, um, I had gone to school for broadcasting and... Then I had ended up working in radio and in media, but on the sales side, on the advertising side. And uh, I was basically uh, working in advertising, looked up, it was 2005 at the time, realized that my dream of being on the air was never going to come to fruition. Then I heard of this thing called podcasting, and I said, you know what, maybe I'll give that a try. But I continued to work in advertising as both a salesperson, then a digital sales manager for the CBS radio cluster of stations here in Cleveland on parallel tracks, doing podcasting essentially as a hobby and then took it full time. But basically, my focus was on advertising and media sales before I became a full time podcaster. So that's that was my life. I have a wife and had a wife at the same wife at that time and two <laughs> kids with a, with a mortgage and a lot of responsibilities. So it was something where I needed that uh, full-time gig in that job to uh, support the family and just started podcasting as a passion, which has subsequently become my life's work, my business. I didn't know you were a podcaster. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you first hear about podcasting? I was listening to a guy on the radio by the name of Leo Laporte, um, famous tech journalist. He was on television on MSNBC years ago when the show, when the network first started and tech TV and ZDTV followed him. He had a nationally syndicated radio show, which he still does to these days, and started listening to it online. And he started mentioning these things back in 2005 called podcasts, where you could listen listen on demand. And remember, this was before Netflix on demand, and but you could listen to audio on demand. And since I'd always just been a fan of talk radio, I started listening to these. And then I picked up a show by Adam Curry, the famous MTV VJ who's gone on to uh, a lot of uh, success in podcasting. And mm-hmm. he's 
the guy who co-invented it. And then I heard them say, hey, you know, people are doing these out of their houses. And I thought, well, gee, you know, maybe I can give that a try and just have some fun. If I can't broadcast professionally, at least I'll have the opportunity to do this for fun. And that's how it all got started. <laughs> so hearing your backstory and what you were up to then, if you didn't know anything about you, you have no idea that there's this whole paranormal chapter, we'll call it one hell of a chapter, of your life. You'd have no idea that this is something you're interested in or enjoy talking about. So back then, you know, what kind of things were you interested in? What what drew you to the the radio and communication space in the first place? Well, I mean, that goes back to when I was a little kid. I used to walk around and talk into a flashlight and pretend I was Bob Barker or something, <laughs> you know, back in the day. Yeah. So I was always interested in broadcasting. I mean, I was fascinated. I'd be the kind of person who would go into a history of broadcasting class and everybody else would be falling asleep and I'd be on the edge of my seat and saying, what happened then? What happened then? Oh, I see you were that kid. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely that kid. So I loved broadcasting and it kind of irked me. I never got to do it. The way the paranormal piece came about was when I, I first decided I was going to podcast and then I looked at several different topics. And again, remember, I did this with no thought that I would even earn a little side income on this. This was just for fun. And I thought, well, you can't do music because of rights issues. You know, what am I really going to add to the political discussion one way or the other that's been done to death? Sports, I mean, I consider myself a relatively knowledgeable fan, but I, there's people that know way more about this. Idea. Well, you're from Cleveland. So that's you know, right. You know a lot. I knew yeah. losing. I knew lots of losing. Ah, it's too soon. Too soon. <laughs> but anyhow, the tide changes. yes, yeah. let's hope so. But I thought, well, what interests me that people aren't really doing in podcasting in 2005 as it just started? And I realized every time I went into, we used to have these things called bookstores and libraries back then. What? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, was yeah, that French? I don't... <laughs> yeah. And uh, every time I would go into one of those places of uh, uh, learned achievement, I would go right to the supernatural section. Always fascinated in it. And when I was a little, little kid, there was a show called In Search Of. Loved it. Later on, Unsolved Mysteries. Loved that show. I said, you know what? Wouldn't it be neat to have a podcast where we treat this seriously? And I interview authors and experts about their theories on the paranormal. So I started doing it. And surprisingly, it caught on, which totally caught me by surprise. And it developed over a few years as a hobby into a little bit of a side income. And then I got to the point of I was doing so many podcasts and doing so much on the podcasting side. I expressed to my wife, you know, either I'm going to, have to cut way back up on the podcasting or we're going to have to make a full time go of it. And she's a very adventurous person. <laughs> not not so much really, but she was in this case. And she said, go for it. And and I did. And it's been uh, seven years now. So it's, it's wow. worked out well. That it has. Well, thank you to your wife and you for being so adventurous and committing to this full time, because I think uh, looking back, you definitely agree with your decision or, or wish you did it even earlier, probably. Let's get to what I call your paranormal podcasting empire. And, you know, you're, you're very humble, but I think anybody who hears over 40 million downloads, over 2,000 episodes, you, you know, you have more shows than I have, you know, fingers and toes. I can't even count that high. And uh, <laughs> you've just created a monster, no pun intended, in the paranormal space and, and beyond in the podcasting. You're an absolute legend. Uh, and for any podcaster who uses Libsyn, if you go to the Libsyn homepage, you're there. You're on the homepage. Hey. <laughs> so I, I don't know how all that happened. But anyway, you've created just such an amazing monster here. Let's start here. In the early days, when it was more of a hobby, before you even knew that you turned into a business, what did it look like? What what did your show look like? What was What was your routine in more of a hobby sense? Well, uh, first of all, I always planned on producing the show to as professional standards as I could. Even though it was a hobby, I always wanted it to be the best it could be. And early on, I had very minimal equipment. I had a USB headset, which, 
you know, if you listen to the shows now, they are listenable, but you can definitely turn tell uh, that those were early days. But my my number one thing was is that I never wanted this to sound like it was a hobby. I wanted it to sound like it was a radio show, and I wanted to be professional as possible because even though I worked on the advertising side, I was a radio professional and had been trained in media. So I never wanted to sound as though Jim's doing a show in his uh, den, <laughs> even though Jim was doing a show in his den. Yep, know that feeling. Uh, so that was very important to me. In terms of doing the show in the first three years, it was very sporadic. It was kind of, uh, I'd do an episode and I wouldn't do an episode for two months and I'd do another episode because two small children, full-time managerial job, you know, a lot of things going on. And I remember where I was when I decided I was going to get serious. I was sitting at a t-ball game for one of my kids. That's how you know you're going to get serious. When that's right. That's right. Cars. And and just to put that in perspective, that daughter is now in her third year of college. Wow. But anyway. I think she's graduated from t-ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was listening to, I don't know, that probably makes me a bad dad. I was listening to a podcast while my kid was playing t-ball, but I was there. I think that makes you... A podcast enthusiast, yes. and a supporter. So I, yes. it's okay. I think multitasking. I feel like best. your daughter would forgive. But me. I was listening to Dan Carlin, who has a fantastic mm. podcast and is also on the Libsyn front page right now. But he <laughs> is really a legend. I I, I dwarf in comparison. He no, is no, huge. No. no, no, no. He is one of the best podcasters ever. And As I was listening. You. I was listening. Well, thank you. Uh, I was listening to one of his shows, and he had a sponsor. And I said, you know, I've got people emailing me saying, Jim, when's the next episode coming out? What's going on? And I told my wife, because I had just, uh, I might as well tell the story. I joined CBS Radio as a uh, <laughs> digital marketing manager for the cluster of stations in Cleveland. And when I first got the job, I thought, this is going to be the dream job. And then I realized it's a good job, good company, good opportunity, but this is not my life's work. I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I've got all these people asking me why I'm put out, putting out the next show. And I'm listening to these shows and people are getting sponsors. It's like, I need to get serious. I'm going to, six months, I'm going to be religious and put out a show every week, which I ended up doing. And I said, I'm going to see where we're at after that. Almost as if on cue, I got an unsolicited request uh, for Audible, to, who used to sponsor every podcast in creation, <laughs> yeah. uh, through the ad agency they worked with to sponsor the show. And I said, there's there's a comedian used to say, there's your sign. Well, that that was my sign. Uh, and I, ball, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. And um, I thought, there you go. That's your sign that you need to do this more seriously. And within three years... Uh, well, this would have been 2009, actually. Within three years, I went full-time with it. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of the, the progression. Not as serious a dabbler, more serious amateur, started to build up the side income and uh, was able to make a go of it. And, and I would say that anybody who says, well, I want to make a living podcasting, if, they, if they're new and they don't already have a platform, I would say go for it, but be smart about it. Don't quit your day job tomorrow and say, I'm, I'm starting podcasting today. And within three months, I'm going to make a full-time living ramp it up, you know, do it on the side. I mean, I'm not saying that my example is the perfect example and your situation may be different. You may have a huge audience. You may have a pre-built following. I did not, but for me kind of doing it in parallel tracks, keeping the day job, burning the midnight oil, it worked out. It certainly has. And you say, be smart about it. What advice do you have in terms of going about it the right way and growing into a full-time business as opposed to more of, you know, that word hobby? Yeah, I, I just think you have to look at several things. And anything I say, please keep in mind, I don't feel that I have it all figured out. I'm going to say some things that I don't even think I have implemented to its fullest extent. But I think you want to look at things like income diversification. For example, with any business, you don't want to rely on one revenue stream. So if you're a podcaster, don't rely on just one sponsor. And then if that sponsor pulls out, you have no business. These days, and these are things that I want to get better at, there are things like live events. 
There's merchandise. There's books, which I have done five books based on my campfire show. Hmm. The point being that like any business, and I don't care if your your podcast is on ghosts or if it's on bottle cap collecting. Oh, the that's same, just still my next yeah, idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the principles are the same diversification of income. Uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, those are a couple of important, important things. And and also, I mean, I kind of lucked into what I think has made this doable as a full-time job, and that's my Campfire podcast. Maybe do a little more market research than I did and try to intentionally find that niche. I kind of fell into <laughs> the niche that kind of powered all this. And uh, I'm fortunate that I did but maybe go at it in this day and age with more competition out there. So many podcasts do some market research and see someplace that you feel strongly about and would be potentially a good niche that's underserved or maybe not served in a way that you can serve the community. And you've 100%, maybe a thousand percent capitalized on your niche there. So there's, when you look at building a business from podcasting, there's the monetization side and there's also the community building side, and that part of that can can be tied to to downloads as well. Um, you you know you're public about how many downloads you have, and it's such a monstrous. No, I'm just going to use the word monster all the time. <laughs> there's such a monstrous number that you know anybody taken aback by it. But what can you point to that has that you've done that has enabled you to grow your downloads and actually? build this community that is so, so passionate about what you do and the stories you share. Yeah. I, uh, to kind of level set everybody, the show that I would say makes all this possible is called Jim Harold's Campfire. Mm-hmm. This is a show where people come on and share their supernatural stories. And, and again, you have many people who have never had another paranormal or supernatural thing happen to them in their life, and they'll come on and share this. It could be a doctor, could be a lawyer, could be a business person could be a janitor, but but a lot of people said nothing else ever happened to me before, but this did. And that show, what I think has powered that has been community, word of mouth, and just picking something that people feel extremely passionate about. People are passionate about these supernatural stories. I think most people listening, and you're listening to a business podcast, but ask yourself, Have you ever experienced something weird that you couldn't explain that might tap into the supernatural? Even if you don't believe in this stuff, I bet you have. And if you haven't, I know you know someone who has and has probably told you such a story. And that's really kind of what I've tapped into. And at this point, I ask the audience to kind of carry the water for the show in terms of telling other people, in terms of participating in the community. We have a Facebook group which has... Uh, over 19,000 members, and that's all user-generated. They will come on and they will share their stories and they will discuss them. And we even find people bringing people to the podcast by way of getting them into that Facebook group. Then they're introduced to the podcast. Then they learn the podcast, uh, of the podcast, then listen and, and hopefully like it. So I think tapping into something where people have a passion and providing them a forum where they can feel comfortable sharing is important. I think that's one thing about the Campfire Show. You know, if if people call into a lot of radio shows and say, well, I saw a ghost, or I think I saw some kind of, I saw a UFO, I don't know what was, this is what it did, or goodness, you know, even one <laughs> that I'm more skeptical about, somebody said they saw a Bigfoot. Most radio well, shows, Bigfoot, yeah, yeah. well, there you go. Uh, but, <laughs> but the thing is, most radio shows, they would be ridiculed and laughed at. And basically, my take on that is, okay, you saw Bigfoot. Tell me more. Tell me what happened. Where'd you see it? You know, And then they share their stories, and there's no judgment. And for the vast majority of stories, occasionally you'll get somebody trying to pull your leg. I think they're being very truthful, and they saw something or experienced something, and they believe in it. Uh, now, could they be wrong sometimes? Sure they could be wrong. But I think they're true stories from the perspective of the storyteller. And tapping into something that people feel passionate about, I think is so key. 
Uh, and I think when you see people that are successful in any media, they're, they're tapping into an existing need out there, an existing passion. And, uh, that's why I think it works. I, I, I think I may have gotten totally off of your question, but no, actually you you've done a phenomenal segue to the next portion. So I should have known you were good at segues based on your background, but I want to dig into, if you're okay, yeah. more of this paranormal world and stories and some of the content that you have in your show, uh, which I feel like you've heard a few stories over the years. So when you think to all the stories on Campfire and everything you talk about and the amazing guests and experts you have on the Paranormal Podcast, what sort of stories sort of rise to the top or top of mind when you think of stories that you are most still to this day totally fascinated? Like what line of this paranormal, supernatural world is your favorite? Well, the thing that interests me the most is the afterlife. Because I often say we might not all see a UFO, uh, we might not all see a Bigfoot, but I do have some news for everybody listening out there, and this is a bit of a downer. We're all going to die. Oh. And, <laughs> and uh, hopefully <laughs> many, many years from now. Uh, right. But what lies beyond it is, I think, fundamentally a very human question and one that we all, in our deepest, darkest hour, whether we're total atheists, or if we have strong religious faith of one one type or another, we ask ourselves in those kind of hours when you're sitting at the kitchen table in the middle of the night with a cup of coffee and you can't sleep, and you think, well, what really happens? This sounds like a very specific example. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, the point is, is that uh, I think that's a question, and I'm always heartened because there is a lot of spooky and scary stuff on our shows, and, and that's certainly part of it. But some of my favorite stories are when somebody has a communication or what they interpreted to be a communication from a past loved one. Uh, I think that's uh, that's extremely powerful. So those kind of stories resonate with me. The other kind that, that resonate with me are called head scratchers. I call them head scratchers. Hmm. And these are ones that don't fit neatly into a category, but just something extremely weird that's happened to someone. Uh, now, the the story I'm going to try to briefly tell, because it's really elaborate and Please, can truly take be... take as a, much time as you want. Truly I'll be scratching be, my head the whole time. Yeah. It, yes. It, it truly could be a Twilight Zone episode, but <laughs> well, license I, I can tell you that this place physically exists because our listeners have gone and gotten pictures of it. So that much I can tell you. And I've continued communication with this storyteller over the years. It's the story of the Roadhouse Saloon, and I'll try to make it quick. Roadhouse. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, we had a caller from Michigan, I believe it was, at the time that this happened. She was in Wisconsin, living in Wisconsin. And uh, her and a friend went to see a band. And they closed down the place, and they were talking to the band afterwards, and they were headed back home. They were in a rural area about an hour from their ultimate destination. It was a man and a woman, and I'm assuming they were on kind of a date. So anyway, our caller tells, uh, her name is T.I., uh, her friend's name was Bob. T.I. tells Bob as they're motoring along, I've got to go to the restroom. And he said, well, good luck, everything's closed up now. You can always use the facility by the side of the road. And she said, no, no, just drive fast. So anyway, within a few minutes, they come up on this bar that's totally lit up. Now it's after two o'clock in the morning. So you wouldn't think that that would be the case, but they said, Hey, let's not look like gift horse in the mouth. Let's go in here. So they go in. Bob mentions to TI, I'm glad we're here. Cause this is old West mural on the wall that I've heard so much about. I want to check it out. And he was an artist. So anyway, so she goes to the restroom, comes back. They start talking and the people in there are kind of weird. They don't really, really talk to them. Uh, Normally, they're kind of looking at them and just kind of bizarre. And they notice that the people in the bar are some of the same people on this old West mural. Ooh. And I thought, well, that was kind of weird. You know, I, I, I don't know why that would be that strange. And uh, Bob said, well, maybe just the artist, uh, these are regulars here, and that's kind of an homage to them. So anyway, there was this big guy behind the bar, good-looking guy, and, and a couple people off playing cards or something on the side. And Anyway, this one guy comes up to T.I. and asks her to dance. And he's put chubby checkers, let's twist again, on the 
vinyl jukebox. That'll come back into play. <laughs> and she says, no, no, no. And T.I. said she walks with a cane, and she was actually glad she was able to use that to kind of say, no, no, I don't dance. So she said she was glad she had it in that case. So anyway, they keep talking about this mural, and they're looking in just a very bizarre vibe, you know. And all of a sudden, they start looking. There's double doors, kind of like the old west doors of the saloon are, are there. Mm-hmm. And they notice there are two, like, misty figures coming into view in the doorway. And they're like, we didn't notice those before. And they look down and they talk a little more and they look and these shapes are taking form. And like an old, and you're too young to remember this, a Polaroid picture, if you can. Hey, you know, no, we met, we met at Podcast Movement. I have a Polaroid picture from Podcast There you Movement. go. There you go. That's the only reason why. So anyway, <laughs> they notice that these figures start developing in like a Polaroid picture. And they notice that one is taller and one is shorter. Then they notice one is a male, and another looks to be a female. And then they notice that the woman figure, the shorter figure, has cowboy boots, curly hair, and a cane. And T.I. has curly hair, cowboy boots, and a cane. Oh at which point they look at each other and say, let's get out of here. <laughs> so they, 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 walk, they start to walk out the door, and these people who haven't really talked to them start beckoning them back. Like motioning, come back, come back. They close the door. When they walk out, there's nothing in the parking lot other than their car. All the neon lights are off. All the cars that were in there when they came in are gone. And when they came in, the place was hopping, neon lights, cars in the parking lot. And the place looks totally closed, which is bizarre enough. They leave. But T.I. is a lot braver person than I am because... She says, I don't know what that was, but I'm going to find out. So two days later, she goes back with another friend. They go a little earlier. They don't wait till 2.30 in the morning. It's her and her girlfriend. They go. They walk in a place. There's a female bartender. They walk up to the bartender. They're talking to her. And they're like, yeah, you know, uh, we were here the other night. And uh, where's that good-looking young bartender you had? <laughs> said, there's no good-looking young bartender. It's just me and my elderly father who are bartenders here. And uh, she looks to see. They do have a jukebox. Now, remember, the old jukebox was vinyl, right? This is a CD jukebox. Mm. And Chubby Checker is nowhere to be found on it. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> T.I. says, good enough. They leave, and that's the mystery of the Roadhouse Saloon. Now, again. Oh, my God. You know, some people would people would go on a show and they say, ah, you're just imagining things. But I don't know. There's right. a lot of weird things that happen that hint at things like parallel universes and the multiverse and things like that. What if somehow, strangely enough, T.I. crossed over into some other kind of parallel version of our universe that had a roadhouse saloon that was jumping. I mean, the thing is, is that when it comes to the paranormal, and I think I'm a pretty logical guy. I have a post-grad degree. I, I don't think that I have my head in the clouds, but I think when it comes to the supernatural <laughs> and the paranormal, I think that there's so much that we don't understand. And maybe the things that we don't understand are science, but maybe they're the science. I think Arthur C. Clarke or somebody said something like this. Maybe it's the science of the 25th century. After all, DNA, we didn't know about DNA, right? You know, in 1800, you would have talked to somebody about DNA and that's crazy talk. Yeah. Can't well, now, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> now we know there's DNA that uh, and we've mapped the human genome. So the thing is, is that there was an old movie out several years ago. It's called What the Bleep Do We Know? And I kind of agree with that philosophy. The more that I look into this stuff, the more I believe there is something going on and the less I personally understand. And I also believe that anybody who claims to be an expert on the supernatural or the paranormal I think they're feeding you a line. They might be an expert of the various theories. They may be very knowledgeable about that. But in terms of somebody who really knows what's going on, I don't think anybody knows that something what what's going on. But something certainly is, I think. Well, that's a comforting fact, right? The more we know, the less we understand. I mean, that's a <laughs> talk about a whole a wormhole. But yes, it's you have heard so many stories and 
it's just so cool what you're doing because it's you focused on something that it was just something you enjoyed talking about and you were interested in. Now people are coming to you from all around the world to share their own stories. So it's quite it's a pretty cool uh, thing you've created for yourself. But I'm curious about on that not understanding note, what's something that a guest has said on your show that just completely took you off guard? Like in the early days of the Paranormal Podcast. And again, I always treat my guests with respect. Mm -hmm. Even if they say something outlandish and something I personally don't believe, my perspective is my audience is intelligent. Bring them the information and let them decide. And I realize some people will object to that and think you should take a more adversarial approach, but that's just not the way I work. Mm -hmm. But I literally had a guest tell me that he teleported. He said that he lived in a cold weather climate. Now, this wasn't on campfire. This wasn't your average person. This was a was an author. He mm-hmm. said that uh, he lived in a cold weather climate. It was a cold day. He was tired of the weather, so he just uh, teleported to the Caribbean or something, a place like that. <laughs> and I just said, okay, okay then. Uh, all right. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, but But the thing is, is that, again, I think sometimes... This is my belief. In looking at media over the years, I think that the best interviewers are not necessarily people who make the interview about them. They make it about the person on the line. Now, I think that most people listening to that interview were intelligent enough to say, I'm probably disagreeing with this guy that he teleported. I have that faith in my audience, but I think it's always about making the show, at least for me, making the show about the guest, putting them not in the best light necessarily, but putting them in a position where they can get across their views and their theories and then let the people decide. Now, of course, that when you get into things like hate speech and all that, that's a whole different category. We don't, we don't brook that on our shows, but in terms of, Wild theories, we'll let somebody uh, espouse a wild theory, but there's no way. I mean, I've done over 600 episodes of the Paranormal Podcast alone, and and in addition, uh, several hundred episodes of my Plus shows, which is a big part of my revenue streams, and those are also with interviews of authors and experts. There's no way that I could limit myself to people who I agree with. Or else I would have no done chance, maybe yeah. seven shows. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, uh, one of the best people who I think, and, and some of your audience will remember him, one of the best journalists out there who I always enjoyed was Tim Russert. And mm-hmm. he would take a Republican and have him on the line, and he would treat him equally as he would a Democrat. You really didn't know where Russert stood with his Mm -hmm. personal politics. And that's kind of the way that I want to be on this show. I think people know I'm sympathetic. I think they know that I believe that there are things going on, but they don't necessarily need to know exactly which theories I put more weight in than others. Not that I'm hiding it, but again, to me, my job is to be the facilitator to bring the information out and then let the audience decide. So the audience is obviously very, very important to you. And there's a lot of overlap between the audience and the guests on your show. Sometimes it's members of your community that end up coming on the show and sharing their story. And the thing that stood out to me in listening, and, and I've listened to some of your paranormal episodes as well as Campfire, the thing that stood out to me is the raw emotion that you capture and that your guests have when they tell these stories. And it's it's hard to describe. You really have to listen to it to understand it yourself. But how do you unlock that emotion in terms of storytelling? Well, I think that it's a, a couple of things. Now, this is primarily what you're talking about is on the Campfire Show. Mm-hmm. And it's being, I think, an honest arbiter of their stories. They know that I'm not going to make fun of them. The audience knows that they're going to be treated with respect. And even if something is, quote, outrageous, I'm not going to make light of it. And I think in that environment, they feel comfortable to be themselves and kind of reveal what's happening. And I don't think it's anything that I do necessarily when I'm on the line with them. I mean, I try to treat them respectfully Mm -hmm. and kindly. But I think over years of listening to the shows that 
they know who they're dealing with. And I try to be the same person on the shows than I am in real life. So there's a level of sincerity. Now, strangely enough, the person who I think does this the best is Pat Flynn, which many of yeah. you are a big fan. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, are big fans. Yeah, he's the man. And the thing is, is that it's one of those things when you say something you said, it also has the side benefit of being true. <laughs> it is, is that the fact that I, I feel I'm a nice guy. I feel I'm an understanding guy. I feel that I will always listen to somebody's experience. That's not just a role I play on the podcast. I think that's really me. I think that comes through. I think that makes people feel comfortable and that's why they share their stories. It's so true. You hear it in any episode you listen to and you are so consistent you also and this is a little tip i learned as i started interviewing people in the best way you know when to shut up you know when to have the guests tell their story and sometimes the best interviewers are not doing the talking they're doing the listening and then they're guiding the interview that way and right. you do that with such a wide range of stories that it's absolutely incredible and there's Another part of your community that I think is really, really awesome, what you're doing is you have plus content, you have special content that you provide for, as Pat Flynn would say, your super fans, super duper fans, where, yes, you have virtually endless episodes of free content, but for those fans who love you enough, who are gym fans enough and paranormal fans enough to become paying subscribers... There's more endless episodes and and right. con- content and benefits that only they can receive. So how did that whole plus club or plus membership start? Well, actually, what had happened was I, you know, I listened to podcasts about podcasting very early on. Yeah, there's and, probably podcasts uh, about yeah. those as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Podcasts <laughs> about podcasting about podcasts. But one of the first guys to do anything like that was Cliff Ravenscraft, mm-hmm. um, who now has kind of moved on to be more of a motivational speaker kind of guy. But one of the things he was doing with his super fans was a, a premium offering. And this is before I went full time. And... I thought, you know, why can't I do that? Now, again, today there are a lot of mechanisms and people to do that with and apps and so forth. Then there was basically very little. There was uh, membership site plugins for WordPress. And I kind of home rolled my own with that and a web card system and made it work. And I think the biggest step actually to going full time was in February of 2011, I believe it was, I opened up my first plus offering. Mm. And in the first day, I think I got between 150 and 200 signups. That's not And I for said, yeah, for 2011, yeah. yeah. I said, okay, we're on to something. Mm-hmm. So basically the structure of my plus club is this. If you go to my website at jimherald.com or you listen on the podcast app or I have my own podcast app called Jim Harold Spooky Studio. You can listen to at any time between 30 and 40 episodes for free with new content coming out every week. So you could literally start listening to me this week and never run out of content as long as I'm above ground and still producing. So, <laughs> so, so the point being that there's no pressure to join the Plus Club. There's an offer, but it's not like you got to do this. Uh, however, what happens is, for example, with my campfire episodes and my paranormal podcast episodes, after 13 weeks, they go into the archive, which is for plus members only. In addition, every month I do eight additional episodes of other programs on specific themes, UFOs, cryptids, life after death, and so forth that you can never get for free. They're plus only content. And uh, that has been a huge talk about income diversification. That's been a huge part of what I've done because I couldn't do this full time if it were just the advertising. The advertising with the Plus Club revenue makes it possible. And just a quick shout out, uh, a couple of years back, I went to Libsyn, Mm -hmm. uh, the podcast host, who had been my podcast host since 2005. I knew they had a premium app. I believe it's called My Libsyn. And uh, moved over to that, which was a big process, moving over your whole membership, basically canceling them out on one platform, hoping that they will uh, sign up on the other. And of course, anybody that signed up 
and had time coming. They got it for free on the new app. So we fulfilled all those. But other than that, everybody had to re-sign up new because it was a totally new payment system. And lo and behold, I think we had over 90, 95% retention. Wow. So, which was amazing. And then they threw you on the homepage as well. Yeah. Well, I that <laughs> came as you asked about that, Lipson. Yeah. Uh, Basically, they just said, "Hey, take a look at our homepage." I didn't even know that was coming, so that was a, that really... was a great that was a great honor because I mean I'm on there with Mike Rowe, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs and mm-hmm. Dan Carlin and a bunch of other great podcasters. I had no idea that was coming, and I'm like, I'm like, why am why am I up there? I'm not in their class, but I really appreciated that from Lipson. But the point being that the Plus Club that was if I had to take it to one day when I thought. I might be able to do this full time. It was that first day when I had, you know, a couple hundred people sign up. I'm like, my goodness, there's something here. There's interest. Yeah. You saw that right away. Yeah. And back, not to just keep talking about Lipson's homepage. I mean, this is a Lipson podcast by this point, but, uh, <laughs> brought well, to you by really, Lipson. Yeah. Um, it's very cool that the story you told earlier about how you're sitting at your daughter's t-ball game and you're listening to Dan, a, Carlin, uh, Dan yeah. Carlin and he was kind of your podcasting idol. Next thing you know, well, a few things happen in between, but now you're literally next to him on the same side as him. So that's pretty cool. That's got to feel yeah, that is. Of a, yeah, it is. A nice thing. Yeah. I'm still, again, to me, you know, if you use a broadcasting parallel, he's kind of like a Walter Cronkite of podcasting. <laughs> he, what he does is so good and, and so original that I would never uh, compare myself to him. But that is very gratifying even to be thought and even the, the, the same breath. And I just have... One more question in in this realm for paranormal for now. I mean, you describe yourself as more of an online or internet celebrity, but you told me when you're walking down the street, you know, no people don't turn their no. heads and go, "Oh, that's it, that's Jamerald, that's the sort of thing." So, in general, what is the reaction you get from people? when they find out that you spend the majority of your time talking about these things like paranormal and supernatural? Well, the thing is, is that I think, first of all, they think, well, what's wrong with this guy? But uh, <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah. But the thing well. is, is that what I always try to tell people is, is that I have a legitimate interest in the content. I have a legitimate care for my audience. So that's not fake, but this is a business. And my background is in the business of media. So when I do things, I put my business cap on and I think about it very seriously. But yeah, there's there's people arching their eyebrow. And I remember when I left radio with the ultimate eye of going into this full time, I think maybe some of my coworkers and people thought, ah, he'll be back in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That's but, how that uh, out, right? yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm never one to say the battle is won, you know, um, to use as many cliches as possible. You think about something like who stole my cheese market. Wait, conditions. I actually haven't heard that one. Before. <laughs> I love cheese though. So. <laughs> uh, uh, market conditions can change. So I've never have uh, comfort because, Things could happen that could totally change the landscape. But the thing is, is that I I think that I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I can have a really strong interest in these topics, but also have a very strong business mindset on this and try to think about things like audience acquisition and income diversification and monetization and spinoffs and verticals and, and all of that. And still be interested in the spooky stuff. I I feel capable of doing that. I think it's still okay. A little bit of spooky. Never hurt anybody. Business is spooky (laughs) in general, yes. It is. So you finally decide to start a podcast. Congrats. You've never been more excited. But wait a sec. You quickly find out this is way more of a time commitment than you initially thought. You're going to need someone that has you covered behind the scenes. That's where I come in. Email me at max at hippodirect.com and let's get wild. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about, with you personally, inspiration and creativity. So what do you do to stay creative and keep your mind fresh? Well, what I like to do when I can is to get out in nature a little bit, but I don't do nearly enough of that. I think uh, it's the... Sometimes I fall prey, and I think a lot of solopreneurs or entrepreneurs run into this, 
the false economy of being at the desk all the time. And sometimes I find my best ideas come when I'm away from the office. You have that, and I think everybody listening has had that eureka moment. Mm-hmm. You're you're driving along or you're walking along and just what turns out to be a pretty, pretty brilliant thought occurs to you. And I think when, and again, this is one of those things where I'm preaching it, but I need to practice more of what I preach. <laughs> this is a reminder to you. Is, yes, exactly. Jim, do this when you hear this podcast, <laughs> is to get away, whether that's a 30-minute walk, whether that's a drive, whatever it might be. Get away from the office a little bit. Get away from your desk a little bit. And it will renew and refresh you. I know when I get away for a week or two, I come back, I'm a far better version of myself. I get more done. I'm more productive. I'm more creative. I have more inspiration. And then I'll notice when I start the, oh, I've got to be at my desk 12 hours a day stuff. That's where all that is sapped away. So I guess don't fall for the false economy of being at your desk the whole time. Exactly. So what are the things that you're interested in when when you do get away from your desk for, you know, those non-12 hours a day? <laughs> what are the things, you know, what hobbies are you into? How do you like to spend your free time outside of the work and, and podcasting you're doing? Well, I, I love uh, sports. I'm a big Browns and Indians fan and yep. Cavs fan. Yeah. Glutton, glutton, glutton for punishment. Hey, um, hey we're champions now, so. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. By the time you hear, by the time you hear this, you know, by the time you hear, you may be like, yeah, yeah. people, there's a podcast. The Browns may have already won the Super Bowl by the time somebody listens to this. (laughs) Exactly. In 2054. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, I like to spend time with my family. I think that's so crucial as my kids are getting older. I realize my opportunity to be with them is not going to be what it used to be. And one regret I have in those early years of podcasting, I was basically working two full-time jobs. So when I was home, I wasn't home. I was in the room doing podcasts. So trying to spend as much time with them and uh, trying to to get more in tune with nature and and do more nature walks and those kind of things are some things that are on my my to-do list. Yeah, that's a good... A good mission. It makes a lot of sense. And you, you got plenty of time with them. You could play T-ball all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might, might turn some heads. But you mentioned is, well, I'm guessing Hardcore History is the show you're talking about with Dan yes, Carlin. Yes. It's different. So what other podcasts do you enjoy? I'm curious the mix. Well, I like a lot of business podcasts. I don't oh. listen to a lot of paranormal <laughs> podcasts because... I don't want to be derivative or, Mm -hmm. you know, I hear the same guest I'm going to have and I accidentally recycle the same question. So I intentionally don't listen to those. I love Pat Flynn's podcasts. I love podcasts about podcasting. Mm -hmm. I also enjoy, and since we're talking about virtual mentors, people that we don't necessarily know, but have served as kind of examples, probably... My number one example for what I do has been Leo Laporte, the tech journalist I told you about. And actually who I got to meet finally at Podcast Movement. That was quite an honor. But I kind of wanted to be the Leo Laporte of the paranormal and recreate a lot of what he did. Now, he's done it on a much more uh, mass scale. Uh, But in my little way, I've uh, recreated little pieces of, of what he's done with my network of shows. And uh, the, I enjoy his podcasts, tech podcasts, business podcasts, podcasts about podcasting, which actually I recently started one at the beginning of this year just because I wanted to have an outlet to talk podcasting, and that's called Pod Lords. And I've had some great people on that show. So awesome. I, I kind of use podcasts as a way to get away from the paranormal content mm-hmm. and focus more on business content like your show. I was just listening to a recent one on branding that was yeah. really enjoyable with oh, the uh, thank you. with the, the executive who worked at Procter and Gamble, I think Clorox and all those. It was really good. Uh, Lindsay Peterson. She, yes. Really good. Really good mm-hmm. stuff. Um, thank you. And... Uh, I think that kind of is a nice palate cleanser for me and gets me focused on on the business as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, you hear a lot about people just 
when you're so focused in one subject matter, it really helps. And so really, it feels like you're adding to your brain or opening your mind when you right. dive into those other subject areas. Yes. But you still spend the majority of your time with the paranormal and with the supernatural. And uh, I mean, there's plenty of different words we could use there. But who would you say gave you, in a, besides yourself, who would you say gave you the confidence and courage to go all in in this subject area versus, you know, any other number of directions of podcasting? Well, that's easy. The audience. Audience feedback is crucial. And you're going to get people who think everything you do is great. And then you're going to have people who everything you do is lousy. And and if you're doing this long enough and enough people listen, you're going to hear from that top 10% that love everything you do, who never say a critical world a word. And God bless them. I love them. But you got to remember, they like everything you do. And then you're <laughs> going to have, and you got to remember this. And I think Dave Jackson, the great podcast expert mm-hmm. uh, said, also I think Cleveland, it, yeah. greater Cleveland. Area. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody's going to like you. And there's going to be 10, 20% out there. It doesn't matter what you do. They, they say it's hot garbage. So you got to be able to tune definitely that one part out that hate you and the part who love you, you've got to appreciate that, but realize that they may not be the most accurate barometer. You got to listen to those people in the middle and see what they're saying. And sometimes the most powerful thing they say is nothing. You know, if I keep getting feedback, for example, I have a true crime podcast that I've been doing for, gosh, eight years. And it is never, I mean, I think they're really good interviews. I've interviews, Pulitzer Prize winners and things, but it doesn't have the uptake of the paranormal shows. Honestly, I need to listen to that feedback. The feedback is it's not taking. I need to take make changes to that or do something different where my paranormal shows have really taken off. So I think you have to listen to your, specifically in podcasting, the audience are your customers. You may have advertisers and so forth. Those are other constituencies. Those are also your customers. But your main customers are always the listeners. If you get the listeners, everything else will come. The advertising revenue will come. The potential spinoff revenue will come through merchandise, books, whatever it might be possibility of premium. If you have that audience there to begin with, the rest of that will come, but you have to please them. And if you're getting consistently great feedback, not just among your super fans, but among everybody, you know you're doing something right. If you're getting bad feedback or no feedback, then you know you've got to make some changes. Would not be possible without the listeners. No. Would not be possible without the listeners and any... And and, and, I'm in, and the thing is, is that this goes back to my kind of nice guy persona, and I try to really be that <laughs> you are, person. You are very nice, yeah. <laughs> but I really, truly believe, uh, appreciate what the audience has done for me to give me this opportunity to do this full time because it's kind of a neat job. I and, would say so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like and it? and the one of the funniest stories, Max, was I was at an event where I'd been hired to be on a panel, to be a speaker at an event. And there was another person very well known in the field. In fact, this person had had TV shows made about them and so forth. Wow. And I had interviewed this person before. And we were talking and she said, uh, she's like, you podcast full time, right? Yeah. And that's how you earn a living. Yeah. All right. What, what does your wife do? <laughs> <laughs> So that goes back to your question of what do people say? Yeah. So the, the point is, is that it is a tough threshold to be able to make your living primarily off of podcasting or really all off of podcasting because it's either podcasting or associated products. And uh, the only people that make that possible are my audience. So I am really, really thankful to them. And I, I try to make that clear to them all the time. Let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week! (laughs) So Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. So this is where we talk about a recent campaign that caught our attention. And there's something 
going on in Cleveland every year around fall that catches our attention. I'm talking about the Cleveland Browns. We're both huge Browns fans. But there's something on the marketing side of things that another brand did that was pretty cool. Do you mind walking us through that? Yeah. You would ask me what I thought would be a good topic for this. And I immediately thought something just happened in a couple last days here in Cleveland. Bud Light did this thing uh, last year. Football fans may remember the Browns were windless. And they put these Oof. refrigerators around town with chains and locks on them, victory fridges. So when the Browns would finally win a game, uh, these would be unlocked and everybody at these various bars would get free beer from the fridges, which was brilliant in and of itself. So uh, that happened. Baker Mayfield came in and they beat the Jets last year, almost a year ago now. Damn right they did. (laughs) But uh, anyhow... Bud Light said, well, that was great. I mean, they got a great viral hit off of it. I think it went national and smart. But then they came back this year and said, how can we capitalize on that? And what they did was they set up a pop-up store in Cleveland. They called it B&L and Brown's Appliance Superstore. They had The <laughs> Miz, who's a wrestler, right? Or yep. whatever. Yeah. Uh, do a um, Do a spot, a TV spot for it. And he was like the huckster. The, and basically the idea is we're going to be selling these victory fridges for two days at this B&L and Brown's Appliance Superstore. And they, it was tongue in cheek. And it's, it reminds me of the old 80s kind of appliance commercials. And lo and behold, people were standing in line for hours, like 12 hours to get these fridges. They totally sold out. And then they did a thing where you could sign up and get some free online. My feeling is they'll come out where with every team having fridges. And I I mean, it's just too successful not to. But the thing is, is what I loved about that, the brand in Bud Light recognized there was a passion to the Browns, a pent-up passion from the Browns fans. And they teamed with another brand. It's a lot of bees in this. A lot of bee sounds. As a brand stutter, I am a blah, fan blah, of the yep. Anyway, the Browns, Bud Light, realized that there was a real symbiosis there. Ooh, nice they worked. Work. To, they worked <laughs> a symbiotic relationship. They worked together. It furthered both brands. They got tons of uh, earned media from this. Mm-hmm through the television coverage and radio coverage and, uh, you know, internet, uh, social media. There was a ton of that. So you build up a lot of goodwill. You made a little bit of money on the product. I'm guessing that that was all eaten up through the marketing cost, but such a brilliant marketing campaign. And lo and behold, you know, if I'm a Browns fan and I see Bud Light and I see Miller Light, subconsciously, I'm going to be like, oh, they taste about the same. I'll get the Bud Light. And I, I think <laughs> You're going that... to ruin our sponsor. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, the the point being, it works on so many levels. It was just it like a ninja kind of move because it works <laughs> goodwill. Beer ninja. Uh, it works with, uh, and I'm assuming the stadium, do they pour Bud Light for the Browns games? That has to be the case. Yeah, they do. Um, I'll confirm. Uh, you do that research. Yes. yes. <laughs> Extensive research. Max do, has confirmed. I am up for the challenge. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it worked on so many different levels. They took a earlier successful promotion and probably made this, I would say, almost a more successful promotion. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that we've not seen the end of this campaign, not only in Cleveland, but I think you'll see similar things in other markets. So I thought that was particularly from a branding perspective, a goodwill perspective, a sales perspective, a great campaign. And I love that campaign on all those levels. I mean, the first part was they seemed very, very familiar with the Cleveland fan base. And they recognized that back, back, back in the old days, if you will, the Browns were one of the best teams in the NFL. And then basically after that until recent years, lots and lots of heartbreak and tough times. And it's just this fan base... Really, really, especially after the defeated season with zero wins, the Browns fans really, really needed a beer. <laughs> so that's a small insight there that they took to the next level and made these special fridges. And they weren't just any fridges. They're victory fridges. They have literally locks and chains around them. And so it's a little thing some people might think is a little gimmicky, but it were, it served its purpose. And I have friends that 
during that game where we broke the defeated streak and beat the Jets that Thursday night game where they were at a bar downtown and they wanted to be at a bar just because they knew about these fridges. Right. People, so even at the start, people knew about it. They hyped it up enough beforehand. Um, but I think what you hit on is so key is it, this wasn't just a one and done thing. They recognized, hey, we could do a lot more with this campaign even a year later. And as you say, there's probably going to be more to it. But absolutely, I mean, talk about a perfect gift for somebody. Those little, they have the, because they created the mini fridges as well. They have full fridges. I don't know how the hell people put them in their cars and brought them home. <laughs> but it's just, where there's absolute, a will, there's a way. It was an absolute victory of a victory fridge campaign. So I love that example. So let's get to a segment called the unusual and i know you've heard more unusual stories than any guest that has ever been on this show and maybe anybody in the world uh besides your listeners so you are the guy to ask for this but i'm not talking about paranormal in particular i'm talking about a lot of character traits and personalities that people don't typically reveal but hopefully you'll reveal to us today first thing here is pet peeves what's your biggest pet peeve People not showing up when they're supposed to for interviews. <laughs> now, granted, people make mistakes, but people not respecting your time. I think that's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. And you, for someone who pumps out so many episodes, and con- I can see how it can really, you know, dishevel things and, and make things go out of order. They're out of sync when that happens. So that's a really, I totally subscribe to that. How about quirks? Anything really quirky about you that your wife or daughter calls you out on that is just a little bit quirky, a bit unique about your personality, but it's who you are and you wouldn't have it any other way? Um, Sometimes, and this is going to sound incredibly self-serving, but I care too much. (laughs) there was a recent instance, and I don't really want to say what it was, but there was something I was so worried about that I was going to upset someone or upset the audience. And uh, I went ahead and did it anyway. And it didn't upset anybody. So I, I kind of worry too much, and sometimes I might care too much. But I guess that's one of those things, like, I guess if you've got to have a bad thing, I guess that's a good bad thing to have. Right. But I do care immensely for my audience, and uh, sometimes I do maybe care a little too much. Oh, that's actually really sweet, the way it came out, though. (laughs) But it's true. How about weird talents? So is there anything that you're really, really good at that really doesn't have an effect on your business or your shows? But you're just really good at it. It could be a small random thing. Actually, I'm a pretty good singer, but really? I haven't really. <laughs> and I'm not you, singing you, now. No, I'm not singing uh, now. Okay. Yeah, well, but, <laughs> there goes the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I'm a pretty good singer, although I'm out really? of practice. But yeah, I was a vocal major for a while. What type of thing? What type of singing? Not that I'm a singing expert. Well, actually, I did a lot of classical singing and choral singing in school. But I've hmm. been in a rockabilly band. Um, nice. I, <laughs> I, I love. Gotta love the rockabilly. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I. I I would probably be like one of the old time entertainers that would like sing different kinds of genres. That would be like a standard. Mm -hmm. And then you would sing a rock number and then like a Vegas guy. I could be a Vegas lounge. In another life, I'm probably going to be a Vegas lounge singer. Like a Sinatra. And maybe you're the next Uh, Chubby Checker. uh, Well, I'm chubby. (laughs) But but anyway, there you go. Wow, you took that to the... No. (laughs) All right. So we only got a little bit of time left. We'd love to wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? I am ready. All right. As SpongeBob says as well. (laughs) Let's get wild. Out of all the supernatural paranormal creatures if you will or i think you call them cryptids is that cryptids yeah cryptids. cryptids what would you say is your favorite one actually i think loch ness monster is my favorite because i believe that there's always a lot of possibility that there is something under the the, the, the lakes and the seas and the oceans i think something like that's more likely to exist than let's say a a Bigfoot. So probably the Loch Ness Monster. Do you want me to research that as well? Should I just hop Please on the do. next flight? Okay. Please do. Cool. I'll, I'll bring my Browns beer as well. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Bud Light. Where would you say is the scariest place on Earth? Ooh. 
You know what? I think actually one of the scariest places is relatively close to here, the Mansfield Reformatory. And I can't think of anything that's more scared. frightening oh. than a than a prison, let alone a haunted prison. Oh, that is a hell of a combo. One-two punch there. I will not take up the research project on that one. How about what's your favorite horror movie of all time? I think it's the um, probably The Shining. I like more psychological thrillers. I mean, you know, now you can see all the blood and guts you want. It's like, but at some point it's like, oh, okay, show me some more fake blood, show me whatever. But I love psychological thrillers. And I think The Shining is one of the best ever. It is hopefully the uh, door. We don't see an axe coming through at any second <laughs> now. If you, I, I know you're very fascinated by the afterlife. Um, so one, one of the possibilities there is some people that believe is reincarnation. If you were reincarnated as not a person, but anything else, it could be an animal, it could be anything else, what would you be reincarnated as? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, probably a dog. I've always loved dogs. I think they're noble creatures. So I would say a dog. Noble cryptid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then last question, since you are the best singer since Chubby Checker. Who would you say is your favorite singer of all time? I got to say probably number one is Sinatra. Yeah, I I think that guy stood the test of time and was, you know, had hits from like the 30s up through the 90s even. Had like best-selling albums. So I don't really think anybody is outdone. And plus he was multi-talented. He could do movies. He could do live performance. So I think that uh, somebody would have to go a long way to uh, surpass him. Luck be a lady. Wow. Okay. So, Jim, just to wrap up here, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. And coming to my parents' house in Aurora, Ohio, and, um, you know, this all started when we met at Podcast Movement, and you heard I was from Cleveland. Little did I know that just hearing you were from Cleveland was the tip of the iceberg with everything that you've created. I mean, you are huge inspiration in the podcast space and you have created such a monster as i said but you're so down to earth and you just go about it the right way so this is really cool and as a as a podcast host who at the time of this recording just hit his one year anniversary of podcasting speaking to you and hearing your lessons from over a decade of doing this and making a full-time business is just so cool out of this world so thanks for coming on today Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I would say to people, if you are interested in spooky stuff, you can find, just look up my name, Jim Harold, on all the major podcasts app. And my home central base for everything is jimherald.com. And I hope if you're interested in such things, do please check it out. And thank you, Max. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And you read my mind. There's the best place for people to connect with you. And last thing here. Final thoughts. Stage is yours. It could be a quote. It could be, you know, singing a full Sinatra song, whatever you want. Stage is yours. Send us off here. I think work hard, work smart, and serve your audience. That's what I would say to any podcasters out there. And good luck. Creepy. Okay. Thank you so much, Jim. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you enjoy hearing wild stories like this one, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening destination and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also soak up the bonus content and creative marketing ideas at hippodirect.com blog and hippodirect.com newsletter. That newsletter is the Hippo Digest, and it is your place for wild marketing ideas every single week. And last but not least... Make sure to send us your creepy emojis, no, not creepy in that way, creepy in that way, on social media at the handles HippoDirect and Max Brandstetter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!